You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wise, Sherry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, JT Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Sanderson, Robin Mom, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit hankgarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm super excited to have Juliet Blackwell on the show with me. She has an amazing new book. It's called The Paris Showroom, and I I just love this book so much. Uh, I I know that you guys will, too. Um, This is a must-have for your 2022 reading list uh so be sure to go grab it uh today it's on sale today when you're hearing this uh so uh go visit your local bookstore or use the amazon links that we're going to provide in the show notes however you like to buy books we're gonna make it easy for you to do so uh welcome to the show Juliet. well thank you hank it's so nice to be here i'm excited to have you um Juliet. we begin each show with the same question and we have to get that out of the way before we can uh, get into all the the great stuff we're going to talk about today. But that question is, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? Ah, that's that's always a good question. <laughs> I think my first memory is is probably from as young as I can remember. Um, I've always been in love with books, like a lot of us have. So uh, I think as a as a child, I always thought, oh, I could, maybe I could do that. And I actually had one aunt who who uh, was a writer her whole life, and she only published one book, but she was um, always invested in it and and made it seem very possible for me. So I used to write my own little stories. You know, you know the the saying about um, if 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 you don't see the story you want, you should write it yourself. I think I took that very much to heart at a very young age. I love that. I love that. Yeah, you know, it's it's so crazy, but that's a concept that it takes so many people so long to understand. Um, you know, if you don't see the book you want, go make it yourself. And and for a lot of people, when they realize that, it's like a like a light goes off. Oh, I can just do that. That that's a thing that you can that you can do. You don't have to be given permission to do that. You know, that's yes, exactly. It's so exactly. funny. I mean, that's one thing I love about writing. Right? It was. Um, like a lot of people, I had other jobs and I, I sort of started writing in my spare time and it becomes this just wonderful, uh, it's it, to allow your imagination to just go and, and enjoy yourself. It was so joyous, the first book I wrote. It was it was really, really fun. You you mentioned your aunt uh, who was a writer. Uh, did, did she give you encouragement or, you know, was it just kind of, uh, encouragement by proxy, by by kind of being around that just kind of, um, you know, kept you motivated and fired up? Or, you know, did she read things that you had written and, you know, give you feedback or any anything like that? No, you know, we didn't live close by. I think it was gotcha. mostly by proxy. My mother was the youngest of 11. So, oh, wow. um, and her family, almost all of them were very invested in books one way or, or the other. Another aunt was librarian at Rice University for many, many years, um, one of the head librarians there. And just I had a lot of there was a lot of love for books in the family. And just knowing knowing that and knowing that my my aunt was a writer, um, you know, it was just 
I think it just made it possible in a way that, you know, if you're if you're raised by a tennis star, you might you might well um, try tennis. <laughs> it might seem seem like something you can do. And I think I think you're right that just making it doable. Um, yeah, is a really big part of writing. There's something about uh, joining the family business too, you know that, exactly. that there's there's yeah. someone who does this and and you know them personally, so you know that it can be done. Yes, uh, exactly. you know that's that's an amazing gift. Um, okay. Did so uh, for a lot of people, the journey to becoming a writer. Uh, a lot of times is a, a bit of a circuitous route. Um, I, you know, we've done over 1,200 episodes of this show, and out of that 1,200, I'm talking about just a a small handful of people that 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 I've met and talked to have have known that this was their life path, and and had a singular focus that they were they were going to focus on being a writer, and and everything in life had to inform that decision. Um, most other people, you know, get busy, uh, you know, paying bills, raising a family, maybe um, just other life responsibilities. And then one day that writing thing comes, you know, knocking again and and you, you know, find a way to get into it. What what was that experience like for you? Yeah, no, def- I was definitely in the circuitous route uh camp. <laughs> I, I, I loved books and I also loved um, painting and drawing. And I was raised by a, a, a lovely man, my father, who still lives with me, as a matter of fact, um, who was very military man, very straightforward. You have to get a job that will pay. And and in his mind, writing and painting were, were not jobs that would pay. So I, think I, I was raised by the same man. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, great dad, um, but very practical. So I never took art classes. I never took creative writing classes. I always focused on other things. But then I wound up, of course, you know, pursuing other professions that would not pay me decently. I studied anthropology and then social work. And um, and then I set up my own art business doing faux finishes and murals back in the day. And so I didn't write my full manuscript until I was uh, in my late 30s. Wow. Yeah, it took me a while. <laughs> so studying sociology and anthropology, um, I mean, you're you're literally, that's the study of, of humans and, yes. and um, you know, how we group ourselves societally. And, you know, um, do, do you do you look at that time in those studies and see how that might have helped you as a writer, um, you know, to understand the human condition or to, you know, understand the the foibles that 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 people have? Um, do, can you can you see that as being a positive tool in your writer's toolkit? Oh, very much so. Very much so. In fact, I'm always surprised at how many authors I've met um, who studied anthropology. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a, it's a very it's a very common thread to find. Um, yeah, it seems I, like it. I think it's the same sort of motivations um, that you know most authors are very um, observant and really yeah. enjoy. It's not just understanding human behavior. I think it's try, finding it fascinating. Yeah. Finding human behavior really fascinating and the way people deal with one another, the way we define ourselves and other people and all of those sorts of things, I think is what um, 
anthropologists find fascinating and and authors as well. So um, you grew up uh, around the San Francisco area, is that right? That's correct. Yes. I, I love to to um, kind of discover where people are from and and then, you know, try to see the connections that have been made uh, in their writing uh, that that maybe this sense of place um, may inform the things that come out of them. Do, do you feel that that being from that area has any influence on the stories that you tell and uh, maybe the way you see the world? Uh, you know, I do. I do. Um, the Bay Area is definitely a bit of a bubble. Um, I think it's, <laughs> it's sort of famous for being politically very uh, progressive. It's it's a very, very diverse area. Um, hard to grow up around here and not be uh, familiar with lots of different cultures, lots sure. of different languages. Where I live right now um, in Oakland, I walk around Lake Merritt and I'll hear four or five different languages and there'll be people uh, doing Tai Chi on one hand and, you know, other people doing drumming on another hand. And you just see <laughs> so much of that and so many people coming together and interacting um, that it's interesting to me because I, I have had um, I have two mystery series that are based in San Francisco um, yeah. and I've, I've had letters from readers where, where they'll ask about, you know, well, it seems a little, your, 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 um, your books seem a little, uh, how would they put it? Sort of like as if I were, were self-consciously trying to bring in every culture in the world. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I say, you know, that's just the life. That's just the way it is. For, for me, it is. Yeah. I, I see lots of different cultures, lots of people from different walks of life, lots of different gender identities and sexualities and all sorts of things that people are, are, I think in general, feel comfortable to express in this area. So, um, so I, I really enjoy that. And I think, I think of myself as being pretty open-minded and I think that, that this, that, that comes from growing up in this area, I would say. Now, Juliet, looking at your back catalog, um, you, you mentioned the mystery series that you write, and I, I believe there's three mystery series, the Witchcraft Mysteries, the Haunted Home Renovation Mysteries, and Art Lovers Mysteries. That's right. And then, and then you do more mainstream fiction. I think you even have it labeled on, on your website as mainstream fiction. I do. <laughs> um, and, and historical fiction, um, which I think is wonderful. I, I love seeing authors that have varied interest and varied tastes in in the kinds of stories that they tell because we all know that as readers we uh we have you know i i don't know anyone that only reads one genre i, I know those people are probably out there i just don't know any of them right um, right you know i i read you know if you look at my bookshelves there are thrillers there are mysteries there's historical romance there's i mean i just i'm all over the place right i um, think you're right most of us are yeah yeah and and I would think that most writers uh, like to explore those varied interests. Uh, one thing that we've discovered, though, is when you get into the publishing industry, um, publishers don't like writers that are kind of all over the place. You know, find out, you know, that their their ideas, you know, find out who your audience is and and only write 
to them, you know, and, you know, build your brand and, you know, all the, you know, all the buzzwords. Um, but we know that, that most writers would much rather branch out and try other things. And and maybe the other thing that they try will resonate with readers. And, um, have you ever wrestled with, you know, your, your love of writing mysteries and then your also love of writing, you know, uh, historical mainstream fiction that did those uh desires ever clash you know i i have been very lucky i actually um i'm one of the only people i know who has been with the same publisher and in fact the same editor since my very first book that's fantastic um, which is amazing and and i'll just back up to say actually the editor that bought my very first book um left shortly thereafter but ever since i've been with the same editor the person that inherited me carrie donovan (laughs) she's wonderful um and she has been very encouraging of of me branching out so in fact my very first book um that is a mainstream novel the paris key it was set in paris um began as i had pitched her an idea for a new mystery series based in paris um, because I spend a lot of time in France. So I thought, oh, hey, <laughs> this would be great. This would be a great excuse to spend more time in Paris. Um, and I pitched her an idea about that that revolved around the locksmith shop. And she she spoke to me and she said, you know, you've talked about wanting to write um, a different kind of book. And this seems to me like something that would, would, would uh, lend itself to being more of a standalone novel. And do you want to try that? So, you know, I did, of course, because you're right. It's very exciting to think about trying to um, write in a different genre. So anyway, in my case, the the Penguin Random House has been extremely supportive of um, of me branching out and 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 writing other kinds of books. And I think you're right that it's there's a. Uh, that most readers like to read different genres. And certainly there's a crossover between my re- my mystery readers and the people who read um, these books, either the, the historical fiction or the standalone mainstream. That's amazing that your publisher actually encouraged that. That's, yeah. that's amazing. And it is rare. I agree with you. It's it a, it's a rare thing. <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic though. Um, at, as a writer, do you feel like writing one genre uh, or the other, um, does it scratch a different itch for you? Um, does it, do you get different things from, you know, putting your, your historical writer's hat on versus your mystery writer's hat? And, and I know that your mysteries, um, uh, they tend to be closer to home, so to speak. Um, whereas your, you know, like the, the Paris showroom, for instance, is, you, you know, it's literally another continent away and another time. Do, do you do you as a writer get different fulfillment from writing these different genres and different series? I do. I, I definitely do. Um, the the mysteries are also very lighthearted. Um, yeah. So so there's there's some humor in there. Um, I find mysteries themselves in terms of writing a mystery is is very fun because I, I have a, a bit of a puzzle fascination. So I, I'm really, I really enjoy the red herrings and, yeah and this and that. Um, and, and both of the ongoing series right now, the, the witchcraft and the haunted home renovation series, obviously 
by the by the name. I'm sure listeners can tell those are both kind of paranormal. They have a little paranormal in them. Um, and they both of them are ongoing. In fact, I think there's 11 books in one and and nine books in the other. So so when I go back to write those stories, they're they're also familiar characters. So it's sort of like going back and visiting with some old friends or or family. It's really, really fun to to sort of delve into the characters that you already know and those relationships and then expand on them. Um, and then in the in the France books, because they're not all based in Paris, but in France, it is a very different um, it's a very different storytelling craft yeah. because there's no mystery per se to propel the story forward um i i usually have some sort of mysterious elements in the in the france-based books but they're not uh classic mysteries so it's a very different kind of um, interaction of the characters on page and a very different kind of character arcs for for all of those characters and i get to play around with being in france which is always fun very fun (laughs) Um, I love historical fiction, uh, and and it it always fascinates me. I don't write historical fiction, um, but there's there's a certain magic to it, uh, and it it's it it's um it's it's one of those genres that that I respect very much um, because, and I think the the thing that I love so much about it is that it's it's a story based. Um, you know, loosely or very tightly, uh, based, uh, upon actual events and a lot of times actual people, um, or at least actual scenarios. Um, and those, those historical facts need to be facts. Those need to be, uh, unchanged, uninterrupted, or, or then the book becomes, uh, you know, alternate history or, you know, some, some other thing. Right. Um, but then you, you weave a story that, that is plausible. Um, we don't know that, that these things happened or not, but they, they definitely could. Um, and, and then they, they add texture, um, to the actual historical events that, that in some weird way helps us to understand history better. Um, it, and it's so weird that, a that a made up fictional story, could actually help you understand the actual events better. Um, have you ever given much thought to the, you know, the the crazy magic that happens around historical fiction? <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's I think that's very well put. I think the um, for me, what's fascinating about historical fiction is that I I do love history, but like a lot of us, I I did not enjoy how many of us learned about history. Oh, the way <laughs> history is taught is atrocious in a lot of. Yeah, yeah, you know, and and the last thing that I want to write is yet another textbook. Right. Um, I I love I love the 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 sensory details of living in that era. Like, how how did people eat? What did they? How did they wash? How did they? You know, all of the basic basic stuff. How did things move along at the time? Um, and so yeah, it, it's. It you know historical fiction takes an incredible amount of research. It's just stunning to me how much research it takes for every <laughs> little every little thing. Um, I, I remember at at one point in the Paris showroom, I wanted to one of the characters 
is going to dye her hair. And then I had to, I went off on this whole down this whole rabbit hole about whether they had hair dye and whether it was available and and um, what would have been used to replace hair dye. And, you know, it's that sort of thing that'll take you two, three days to figure out. And it becomes, you know, one very brief scene in the book. <laughs> I, I love those those little details that, you know, um, almost seem like throwaway things to readers. And you're like, but you have no idea what went into that page. <laughs> exactly. Isn't that funny? It's just, it is. yeah, it's amazing. But I, but I'm lucky. I, I, I have one superpower, which is that I have a sister who's a professor of history um, at Old Dominion University in in Virginia. So she, uh, she definitely, you know, she reads over my stuff and makes sure that I'm not making any huge historical gaffes and gives me a lot of uh, and access. As a matter of fact, to I think a lot of us think that everything's available on on. Um, modern search engines but in fact historians have access to all sorts of in-depth information oh, yeah. that that is either very hard or impossible to find um for for the rest of us lay people so she's very helpful that way juliet does does it ever become um do you ever get lost in in the weeds of those details um especially when you're in the editing phase um like, you know, you know, you spent three days researching hair dye and and, you know, as a writer, you probably want to, you know, put all of these details that you learned about it into the story. Um, but then when you're editing, you know, you have to determine which which points are the actual pertinent ones. And, you know, how do you weave this detail into the story, but still make it engaging for the reader? And um, one example I'm thinking of is um Who's the guy that wrote the notebook? Uh, Nicholas Sparks. Oh yeah. Um, he he had a a, a memoir uh, that he wrote. Uh, something uh, he and his brother went on a like a world tour kind of thing, and it, the the book is a, a mixture of him reminiscing on writing uh, certain things and spending time with his brother. Um, uh-huh. And he talks about this scene in the notebook, and when the the main male character. Um, Noah, I think was his name, um, when he was sent off to war and he had this this book of poetry um, that he kept with him the whole time. And his, I think his dad had given him the book and um, and he went through this long diatribe about the the poetry book. And at one point he was shot and the poetry book was in a, a, a pocket in it and it uh, kept him from getting wounded, but, and, mm. and so he, he had this long, you know, uh, several page kind of treatise about, you know, his relationship with this book and, and through editing, it wound up being one sentence and it, it was something <laughs> to the effect of, um, I had this poetry book and one day it even saved my life. <laughs> uh, you, you know, and all of that gets condensed down and down and down and, uh, you know, until one day you write a memoir to to prove to people what <laughs> the plans that you had for this scene. Um, wh- how do you feel about, you know, when you kind of digging up these historical facts, how much is really necessary for the story and how much is just you geeking up out about this thing that you discovered? You know, I, I think that's a. That was a long question. I know. No, no, it's an excellent, it's an excellent question because it's an excellent point. I think that we've all perhaps had favorite authors who, when we read their, you know, tenth best-selling novel, it's it's maybe two, three times as long as their first. 
Right. Um, because those of us who love the 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 novelist are willing to wade through all of that. Sure. Um, but most readers aren't. Um, and I I do rely a lot. I I love getting edited. I know a lot of authors don't like to get edited, but I love getting edited because <laughs> I really want to have a pair of of well trained professional eyes um, reading my stuff and saying you know, this is all really interesting, but you don't need it. And we need to get rid of this or we need to condense it down. And it can be very painful, but I think ultimately, and sometimes I rail against it when I first read the comments, but ultimately about 90% of the time, I agree. I agree. Um, because because we don't want to be writing textbooks. You know, we don't want to be writing uh, a lot of, of exposition about this and that. Um, that doesn't move the story along. <clears throat> so I think we always have to think about how, you know, how much does this um, relate to the to the actual story that we're trying to tell? And we don't want to lose lose anybody by, you know, waxing on too long about hair dye. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> or anything else for that matter. <laughs> right, right. I would think that uh, a lot of historical fiction probably begins with. Um, a great historical fact that you stumble upon and then from, you know, kind of thinking about what the implications of that fact are, uh, a story kind of springs up around it. Is that the way the Paris showroom was for you? Yes. As a matter of fact, this this book, more than more than a lot that I've written, um, came came from just an offhand comment um, one time when when we were in France um uh, a friend happened to mention that, oh, did you know that there were Nazi prison camps in Paris? And I said, no, I didn't know that. Um, and then I asked around and none of the other Parisians we were with had ever heard of this. And that, and the fact that the other Parisians hadn't heard of these camps, I found more fascinating than anything, really. Like, how would you have had prison camps in the heart of Paris um, and not have known about it. And certainly they weren't as large as as we think about in terms of Auschwitz or Dachau or in any of those places. Sure. Um, and they weren't extermination camps. But they were Nazi prison camps right in downtown Paris. And so that just fascinated me. And that sent me down that research uh, hole of um and and there is research done on it, but but not that much. And it turns out that the um the survivors of these camps in general, and I think I mentioned it in the afterward in the book, in general, the survivors of these camps, they when when the truth came out about the really awful extermination camps, the survivors of the Paris camps, I think, felt um, a strange kind of survivor's guilt and felt that their experiences were not anywhere near the experiences of those in the in the other camps. So they didn't speak much about it and it just wasn't talked about much. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's to me, that was really fascinating. So yes, it sent me down that hole, of course, of what these camps were, what life was like. Um, and then in the book, in the Paris showroom, of course, I have a, a woman who was arrested for basically for her father's political beliefs um, and then her daughter, who is living a very different kind of life and with grandparents who are working with the Nazis. So I have the kind of the two experiences of of occupied Paris. 
So th- this should go without saying, but, uh, you know, any sort of prison camp is wrong and uh, is awful. And But I I can, yeah, as you started saying that, I could envision this this weird sort of survivor's guilt that had to go along with knowing that other people had it so much worse, uh, even though what you went through was was not ideal and at all. Um, but other people were literally being tortured. Yeah. Um, that yeah. that has to be such a, uh, I, I, I can't even think of a, a word for that, what that had to, to be like. Um, so, so you, you start thinking about the implications of, of what this would mean. Then how did, how did the story start? How did, uh, how did characters start, uh, you know, forming around this story? You know, I, um, I very much wanted to write this story, but I'm not Jewish. Um, so I certainly didn't want to, to write it from the perspective of a Jewish, um, protagonist. Sure. But of course, as we all know, the Nazis didn't only arrest Jewish people. They arrested a lot of people that they didn't like. So, um, I actually took it in part as an opportunity to learn more about Judaism, which I found really fascinating. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, so when I was, was, was beginning to write the book, um, the, the, the character, I, well, I, let me back up and say Sarah Ginsberger, um, is the name of a researcher historian who wrote two books, um, about this subject, about the Nazi prison camps in Paris. And so I read through her stuff and it's fascinating because she was able to interview some of the survivors and, from that, I started to develop the idea of of if somebody were in these camps who was not Jewish, how would she experience the the Nazi occupation and the fact that she's being held in this prison camp, and what would that mean? So a lot of it came from Sarah Gensberger's work um, and the interviews that she did because it was um, they 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 give you a sense of how kind of absurd and strange this life was to to be living not only in downtown Paris but in a department store um in the and they were kept in the attic of this department store in the in the 10th arrondissement of Paris so it was right downtown and just how absurd and strange that whole life was and that's how the the first character started coming to me so when when you start uh, you know, casting the story with different characters, if you will. Um, how do you start developing the plot? Um, you know, do, are, and first, are, are you a plotter or a pantser? You know, these two camps that we love to put writers in. Yes. Um, <laughs> do you fall firmly into one camp or another, or are you like a lot of people and kind of have one foot planted in e- in each side? <laughs> you know, I, I used to be very firmly a pantser. Um, and then I developed what, on my own, what what apparently is a, a known technique. I just didn't realize it until I had to invent it myself, um, <laughs> which is I basically will write a first draft that's fairly straightforward, and I don't take a lot of time to stop and think about plot. I just want to keep writing, 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 writing. Yeah. And then and then I develop an outline from what I've already written. 
and then kind of step back and work more on plot in a much more um, straightforward way. So it's called, I guess it's called reverse outlining. <laughs> That's what I've heard it called as a technique. And it really works for me because by that time, I know what the story is, um, but I can step back and see where, from the outline, I can see where things are lagging or where 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 I might have an opportunity to develop uh, something stronger. Um, and it also makes clearer to me what the themes of the novel are. Um, because one of the things I find really odd as as an author, but but just I think it's kind of an artistic thing for a lot of us, is that I often don't know what the theme of the book is until the book is written. Um, and <laughs> and it seems strange to me, but I but I just for me that's part of the magic of writing is just letting it happen itself. And and then once the book is my first draft is written, I can have a sense of what the themes are and and develop those more more. Um, Consciously, I I have a friend who is um, firmly in the plotter um, camp, and and I'm I I, I love the, the way you described it that you know that first draft is is very kind of loose and creative, and and you're just kind of getting through it, but then you take that first draft and and sort of outline it after the fact and and i'm i very much fall in that camp and and he laughs at me and he says everyone's an outliner it just depends on when you become an outliner <laughs> he said i just go. do all the work ahead of time and i say you know you don't you don't live as exciting a life as i do um but you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> but anyway, i love that i love that um a lot of historical fiction uh especially around this time period uh uses um, a dual timeline and uh, for whatever reason that has become really popular and people love it and um, and there's some great stuff that's been done with that you take a little bit of a different um, uh, strategy with this book uh, tell us about the way that you split the timeline and the the viewpoint characters yeah you know the the last several books I've written um in France have been dual timeline. And I actually really enjoy writing that as, a, yeah. as an author because I, I love tying a contemporary storyline to a historic storyline. I think that's really fun. And I and I think it also says something rather profound about how, how things echo down through the generations. Um, so I like that connection. But in this book, I really, be, because the story started becoming so huge to me, the story of, because you have to tell the entire story of the German occupation of Paris. It, it just seemed too much to to, to then have a, a contemporary storyline and it felt like it would have been forced to me. It felt like forcing it. Um, and when I, I had a, the, the first uh, character I had in my mind was Capucine, the mother who's in the, in the camp. Um, but then I also realized, how am I going to write a story that's purely about someone being imprisoned? And I know that people have done it, and yeah. it can be done very effectively. <laughs> but I really wanted to tell the story also of, of the fact of this prison in downtown Paris. And in order to do that, I felt like I needed a character that was not being held in the prison. So, so we could see, so readers could see what's happening on the streets of Paris at the same sure. time. Um 
so so that's that's when I came up with the idea of of uh, a mother and daughter. The daughter is an adult daughter. She's turning twenty one, um, but they've been estranged and they have very different life experiences. And um, and so then the daughter Mathilde comes to understand what's going on with the prison that's right in downtown Paris and how could that be and all of these things, um, and has to to come to terms with some of her own issues and her grandparents cooperating with the Nazis and um, and all of what that means in terms of her and her mother. So yeah, so to me it was just, there was too much to tell the, the daughter's story, the mother's story, the story of Paris, the story of the war, and have a contemporary story. I'm sure that a very talented author could do that, but <laughs> but I felt like it was just too much. Well, I, I, I love how it turned out. Uh, there, there's so much going on in this book, and, and it never feels like there's so much going on in this book, if that makes any sense at all. Um, that Actually, you, it's I love that. <laughs> you know, it's you fall into the story in the beginning, and I, I just never wanted it to end. Um, but the Paris showroom, when you're hearing this, is available everywhere now um you can use the we're going to put links in the show notes uh where you can get it on amazon um is, is this also coming out in audiobook uh juliet it is it is yes i i um, can't wait to hear um have, have you heard any of the 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 pre-release yet i i haven't yet i know that xe sands is um reading the capucine part but they're actually um casting three different readers for the book nice. so um, so there'll be some, some, because there's the younger woman's voice and then, um, yeah. So, so I'm very excited to, to hear it. It's always so interesting to hear the book, um, in audio form. Absolutely. Well, you can grab it in Kindle edition if you would rather read that way or audiobook, or if you'd like to hold the paper in your hand, uh, you can get it that way as well. Go visit your local bookstore and let's support local books as well. Um, Juliet, this has been so much fun chatting. I, I feel like we could just go on um, all day uh, talking about books and writing. Uh, but if people are just discovering you and want to dig into all the great stuff that you do, where can they find you online? Uh, the, the website is julietblackwell.net or .com. Either will get you there. Um, I'm also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as Juliet Blackwell Author. And you've got handy links on the side of your website where they can uh, click over to any of your social media as well, right? Yes, definitely. Yeah. And they can sign up for a newsletter. I don't send out a, a newsletter very often, but but if they'd like to, they can do that as well fantastic we're going to link up all that stuff in the show notes to make it easy for folks to find you um juliet thank you so much for taking time to come on the show thank you hank you, you know what you you have amazing questions it's not an it's not easy to be an interviewer and i really appreciate your questions they're very thoughtful and and thorough and this was so much fun thank you so much mm-hmm.